Hey, Pastor Bobby here. I'm so glad you're joining us to hear what God is sharing with our community here at Chapel. And I pray, I am praying right now for you, that this message will bless you. It'll be an inspiration to you. It will challenge you to be who God has called you to be and to do what God has called you to do. And so as we jump into the message, I pray that you open up your mind to God's word, open up your heart to God's spirit, and watch the two come together to bring a supernatural miracle in your life. So let's jump into what God is speaking to us right now. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Acts chapter 2 as we continue Come Holy Spirit series. Acts chapter 2. Sound is vitally important to the world we live in and also to the kingdom of God. And sound, obviously, in our cars is radios because we want music, we want sound. In our houses, we have surround sound on our TV. Sound is all over the place. And if you think about it, many, many of our memories or major moments in life are surrounded with an environment which they call a soundscape, an environment of noise or sound or music. And those sounds actually help reinforce that memory in our minds. So this past week I was joking on Facebook and asked people what their soundtrack of their life would be if they had a soundtrack. Like, what's the one song? And all the Alabama fans says, Rammer Jammer, which I didn't know had cuss words in it or I would have played it for you, but you know, all you Alabama fans are heathens. Rocky Top, I thought of all these, everybody's posting all these songs up, and so I came up with a few that I thought would fit uh, for our church really well. And so if you have a tough life and you wake up every morning trying to make sure that you survive, this may be your theme song. <laughs> and if you're a man, that's like the glory of God right there. The second one is... Mine and Toya's theme song. And so some of you are probably too young for this because, you know, wisdom comes with age. And some of you are so young, you don't even know what good music is yet. You still listen to Justin Bieber and Cardi B and all these people and watch the Kardashians. You don't even know what's wrong with life yet. So this one is our theme song. So check this one out. <laughs> All right, this next one's for the stay-at-home moms. And actually, I thought of this, and then after I heard, I listened to it, make sure there's no cuss words in it. Let's do it well. It actually mentions moms in the course. So moms, I know you live crazy lives, getting the kids up, getting them ready, make sure they're fed, make sure they're still breathing, all those difficult things. So this may be your theme song. <laughs> and this one. It's for all you good old rednecks out there to let you get a little experience in church. Check this one out. <laughs> See, my problem with this one is most of y'all get more excited about hearing that little guitar riff than you do about Jesus. And that is a problem. And this one is my personal one. I listen to it at least once a week. The kids know this because they have to listen to me sing it as well as I can sing it in the car. And so I believe if this was your theme song, the world would be a better place. Check it out. <laughs> I'm starting with me. The man in the mirror, like, this is a little in, like, insight into Bobby Gordon. When I was four years old, I literally walked around the house with one glove on all the time and thought I could dance like Michael Jackson. But music, like, sticks in our minds. It can create themes, and sound is incredibly important 
Because actually our minds and I believe our spirits respond to sound or music quicker than anything else. Think about movies, Hollywood has already got this. So they spend millions of dollars on the soundtrack and the audio mastering of the sounds you're going to hear when you watch a video because video is good, but the sound produces the emotion they're wanting you to experience. If you think about it, if you see a young little girl sitting on a park bench, she's got cotton candy in one hand and balloons in the other, and there's really happy music, you're like, oh, something good is about to happen. But then if you hear really dark music, see the same little girl, park bench, cotton candy, balloons, but then you hear really dark music and you hear, you're like, little girl, get up and run. Something bad is about to happen. Why? The picture was the same, but the sound was different. The sound produced an emotion that the visual, that what you saw could not produce. And I believe the reason for that is, Pastor Kim Clout talked about the other day, that the first thing God created was sound. It was the primary creation that created everything else. And scientists have even discovered that your body, your brain, responds faster to sound than any other stimuli. As a matter of fact, I believe it's sight. Your brain responds in 0.149 seconds. So if you see something, it takes your brain 0.149 seconds to react to that. For taste, it's 0.5 seconds. For smell, it's 0.5 seconds. To touch, it was a little bit higher. You know what was the fastest? Sound. Your brain reacts faster to a sound at 0.146 seconds, which means sound has a greater capacity to impact your emotions and your spirit faster than anything else. And I believe it is a spiritual principle that the world has taken over and the church has forgotten about. I believe the church has grown more quiet while the world has grown more loud and the world has increased in influence of who we are and what we do. And I believe it is a byproduct of sound. If you think about creation, everything in creation has a sound. Joy, the sound that's attributed to joy is laughter. Pain, the sound for that is groaning or moaning. For sorrow or grief, it's crying. For excitement it's, it's, or jubilee, it's, it's a shout. Everything, there's a sound. So if there's everything created has a sound, don't you think everything of the Spirit probably has a sound as well? I believe it does. If you would, let's read Acts, stand to your feet. Let's read Acts chapter 2, uh, verse 1 together. I'm going to read quite a bit of scripture because I want the Word of God to be the foundation here at our church, and I want to give you a lot of context in the series. And it says, When the day of Pentecost had arrived, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound. Everybody say sound. The sound, like a mighty rushing wind. Not a wind, they didn't feel it. They heard it. They heard the sound of the wind. And it filled the entire house where they were all sitting. And divided tongues of, as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And then or they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Quick things. One, two words describe the move of the Holy Spirit. Wind, which is the Greek word pneuma, which means breath. Breath of life. The equivalent word in the Old Testament is a Hebrew word called ruach or rosh, R-U-A-C-H. 
Same word, both meaning breath of life. When God breathed life into Adam, the word was ruach. In Ezekiel 37, when he prophesied over the dry bones, the word there for the, for the breath was uh, ruach. In the same way, it's that breath of life God started life with, and now on the day of Pentecost, he's bringing a spiritual breath to bring spiritual life to his church. So there's a breath of life when the Holy Spirit comes. Then the other word was fire. For thousands of years, people got their light from fire, from torches, from candles, from lamps, from lanterns. Up until the past century, we didn't have light bulbs. So fire was always attributed to a light. I believe when the Holy Spirit came, and you can see throughout the book of Acts, that this fire brought a light of revelation. Now they would know God's perspective and God's point of view of themselves. They now saw themselves as sons of God rather than servants of God. They now saw the world through the kingdom rather than through their own personal lens. They, they knew God's word. They ended up writing the scripture based on the light of the spirit showing them what to write. And then also passion or warmth. Fire brought warmth or affection or passion. And you see these three things show up. All of a sudden there's life in the church. All of a sudden, there's revelation in the church. And all of a sudden, there's a passion to do what God had called them to do. And the other thing that stands out is what came first? Them being filled with the Holy Spirit or the sound from heaven? A sound and then the filling. The sound, then the manifestation. It says, now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together. So they heard the sound, and they all came together, and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own language? Parthians, and Medes, and Elamites, and Mesopotamia, and Judea, and Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Phrygia, Phamphia, Egypt, many, many different countries, and Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. We hear, again, there's a sound, we hear them telling in our own tongues. There's about seven nations or seven languages listed right there. In our own, word, in our own tongues, the mighty works of God, meaning they're praising God praising God for who he is and what he's done. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others mocking said, they are filled with new wine. Same experience, two different perspectives. Some see it as, wow, God is doing something amazing. The others say, these guys must be drunk. Same scenario, same experience, two different perspectives. So Peter stands up here to explain this experience to the church. He says, but Peter, standing with the 11, why? Because ministry is a team sport. It's not a man of God thing. It's not about one person. It's about the team because God moves through a groups of people. Standing with the 11, lifted up his voice and addressed them. Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk as you suppose. The football game hadn't even started yet. It is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. Peter, to explain the move of the Spirit, goes right back to the Word of God as the foundation. He didn't try to bring new revelation. He didn't try to, try to convince them with logic. He went straight to the Word of God to show them this is exactly what God already said would happen. And he quotes Joel chapter 2. And he says, In the last days it shall be God declares that I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh. Not just the priest, 
not just Moses, not just the prophets, everybody who's saved, he's going to pour his spirit out upon them. He says, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. So if you come from a background where women aren't allowed to speak in church, that's a problem. Because right here it says the whole purpose of the Holy Spirit coming is so that every single person, male and female, black and white, shall be filled with the Holy Spirit and gifted by the Holy Spirit to advance God's kingdom here on earth. Your daughters shall prophesy, your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Meaning, you're not too old for the Holy Spirit to use you. If you've gotten older and you said, there's no place for me, God has dreams inside of you. He wants you to release to the church around you. No one's too young, no one's too old. No one's too male, no one's too female. He's saying all flesh. And he continues, even on my male servants and female servants, or male slaves and female slaves, meaning the rich and the poor. So the whole slave movement missed this mark. The Holy Spirit is for everybody because he said, then I will pour out my spirit and they shall prophesy. So it's not about the laity or the priest. He's moving the, the, the movement or the ministry of the spirit to everybody, not just the priest. And he says, and I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below. Blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness, the moon to blood, before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And Peter closes it up like this. says, men of Israel, hear these words, Jesus of Nazareth, because the Holy Spirit always points back to Jesus. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know. This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. Meaning, it wasn't by accident Jesus was crucified. It was part of his plan. God has a plan, not just a plan, a definite plan. Means it's definitely going to happen. Not maybe, not hopefully, definitely going to happen. In the Old Testament, he camouflaged his plan through prophecies that were like a mosaic in Scripture pointing to his plan of Messiah. The reason he did that is if the enemy knew God's plan about Jesus being crucified and resurrected, he never would have killed him. All he'd have to do to win the galactic battle was not kill Jesus. So God disguised the plan. Now, the day of Pentecost, Peter's saying, this was the plan. Now we know because now it's finished on Jesus' side. There's a definite plan and foreknowledge. That means God knows exactly what you're going through. You may feel like, he's, as Anthony said, you're walking through the valley of the shadow of death. God knew you'd be there. He had foreknowledge you'd be there. And he has a definite plan that he's going to use that for your good and his glory. It's not by accident. It's not by coincidence. God has a plan. He's working his plan for your life. And he says, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. You crucified and killed him by the hands of lawless men. But God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by. It. I like that. It was impossible for Jesus to be held down by the grave. And if you are with Jesus, it's impossible for you to be held down by the grave as well. Father, we love you. And we thank you that there's a sound of heaven in this place. 
And Father, we know that in the temple right now in heaven, in the throne room of heaven, there is a sound that is being released of holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Father, let us echo that here on earth. Father, I pray that we can just confess right now we are unable to please you and to walk out this life and to live out the gospel on our own. Father, we need you. And I pray that you come, Holy Spirit, in our lives, in our families, in our marriages, in our church, and allow for there to be a sound released that lets others see heaven here on earth. So we thank you, we bless you, in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. As you're being seated, say, there's a sound to your neighbor. There is a sound of heaven. In this scripture, over and over again, it says there's a sound they heard. There's a sound they heard. They're wondering, what's the sound? And you have to realize, last week we talked about there's perspective when the Holy Spirit comes. He brings a perspective of heaven. There's the ability or power of heaven. And there's a purpose of heaven. The purpose is to advance God's kingdom. The perspective is to see through God's kingdom around us. And the power is to have God's ability in our lives to advance God's kingdom. And with that power... Everything on earth that is powerful has a sound to it. If you're a big muscle car guy, a muscle car has a distinct sound. If you take a muscle car and you put it next to a hybrid car, you're going to know a big difference. The sound tells you there's power. The river, when it's powerful, when it's flowing, there's a sound to it. A train, when it comes down the tracks, there's a sound to it. Everything that has power has sound that's attributed to that power. Why would the Holy Spirit, which is the most powerful force, he is the most powerful being on earth, why would he be quiet? Why would the Holy Spirit, who's all power, not be attributed with a sound? And I believe he is. And the scripture says, there's a sound of heaven, then the place filled. This principle, this is a key principle for today. The principle is this. Sound precedes manifestation. Sound precedes manifestation. Touch your neighbor and say, sound precedes manifestation. That means before you see God move, you'll hear God move. Before you see your prayers answered, you'll hear your prayers being lifted up. Before you see God come through for you, you'll hear something from heaven. Sound precedes manifestation. The problem with this principle is in the world, we believe you have the manifestation and then you hear the sound. Case in point, you go to a football game, if they score a touchdown, you don't shout before they score the touchdown. You shout after they score the touchdown. You go to the football game, you're standing there. If somebody starts shouting, you'll say, what happened? Well, they scored a touchdown. If somebody gives you a gift, you say, thank you after you receive the gift, not before. So this kingdom, this world operates on manifestation of whatever you're looking for, then the sound. The kingdom of heaven says the sound comes, then the manifestation comes. Genesis 1, he spoke a sound, then manifested creation. The walls of Jericho, they shouted, then the walls came tumbling down. In the same way, it'd be like going to the football game, you shout before the touchdown. We say thank you to God before we get our gifts or our presents. And it happens that we get confused and we start looking through our worldly lens rather than the heavenly lens. 
That if I need God to move, I need God to do something, it starts with me releasing a sound of heaven on earth, and then God manifests his presence. I believe one thing that's gotten robbed from the church as a whole is that we've convinced church people their job is to sit in a pew and watch. But in reality, your job is to participate and release a sound so that God can move upon our sounds. I believe God moves based on sound and through sound. This day of Pentecost, there was three distinct sounds that were released that I believe are still distinctives of the, the modern Pentecostal charismatic church today. Those three sounds are prayer. There was a sound of prayer that was released. They were praying in spiritual language or tongues. Two, there was a sound of praise that was released. They were declaring God's mighty works to the people around them. That's praise. Then three, there was a sound of prophecy. Peter stands up and prophesies to the crowd. I believe those distinctives are still there. That's what separates the Pentecostal movement and the charismatic movement from many other movements. There's a sound that comes out of Pentecost. There's a sound that comes out of being filled with the Holy Spirit. And I believe once we get quiet, we lose the power of the Spirit because there's no longer a sound for him to work with. So number one, number one sound. When the Holy Spirit comes, there's a sound of prayer. Touch your neighbor and say prayer. There's a sound of prayer. I believe the way the enemy has distracted us from this is now we have the thing called unspoken prayer request. Touch your neighbor and say there's no such thing. Because prayer is asking God for something or, or declaring something to God. There's no such thing as an unspoken prayer request. It's a release that happens. And what happens is when you buy into that, you say, well, I just have an unspoken prayer request. Really what you're wanting is attention on social media. You want people to ask you, well, what is it? Well, I can't tell you. And what you just did, you just isolated the body of Christ from being the body of Christ in your life. You just, you just broke the, the chain of agreement for that because you're too proud to actually announce what you need prayer for. And then what happens is you say, well, I have an unspoken prayer request. Well, God knows what it is. Then you thought you prayed and you never really prayed. Then you're frustrated because God didn't answer your prayer that you didn't pray. There's a sound of prayer. And in this scripture, it was tongues or spiritual language. And we're going to hit that in August over and over and over again. But here's what the purpose of spiritual language is. The purpose of spiritual language or tongues is receive power. Everybody say receive power. Receive power by praying God's perfect perspective. How, how does praying in the Spirit build me up? Because it gives me power because I'm praying God's perfect will for whatever I'm praying about. I'm praying God's perspective, God's desire, God's will, God's needs, what God wants for me. I'm praying, and in doing so, it builds me up. I tell non-spirit-filled pastors all the time, I don't know how you can pastor without praying in tongues. There's times I just go in my, my office or a closet or somewhere in this church and I just cry out in tongues because my spirit is the only thing that knows. I don't know what to pray. I'm like, God, these people are crazy. Like, I could list you stuff. All, they're crazy. You just pray. And I pray in tongues and hopefully he gets all of you. Another crazy thing, this, this sanctuary, if you've ever went to a haunted house, this year we may start charging people to come through the church at night with the lights off. Like, there's no place scarier than a church. See all these exit lights? They glow red in the dark. So there's been a couple times I walked through, I thought I was by myself, I bump into Ben Heinkel or somebody else, and it'll scare the daylights out of you. So now when I walk through the church by myself and it's dark, I just shout in tongues the whole time. And once somebody caught me and it scared them that I was praying in tongues, they scared me, so we all just got 
exercise the demons, I guess. But prayer is this. Prayer is drawing my attention away from my problem and my circumstances and taking my awareness to the fact the presence of God is with me. See, the presence of God doesn't come and go. The Holy Spirit doesn't come and flee and go and come and go and show up at Sunday and then go and leave. He's always with us. And so no matter if you're at the gym, you're at a restaurant, you know, even when we eat, prayer is not just blessing the food. Prayer is slowing down enough to realize God is with me as I eat and God provided this for me. See, prayer is drawing my attention back to the fact God is with me. And if his presence is there, the same presence that created all of creation, the same presence that came upon the prophets and they prophesied in the Old Testament. The same spirit that came upon David as he killed Goliath. The same spirit that came upon Moses as he crossed the Red Sea. The same spirit that resurrected Christ from the dead is with me. And as I pray, it draws my attention to there's more for me than against me. That's what prayer is. Prayer is realizing God is with me and it connects me to the throne of heaven where he is interceding on my behalf to the Father. Every day, I can stop. I don't have to go into a prayer closet. I can just slow down, slow down enough and just realize God is with me. That's prayer. Just draw my awareness back to the presence of God. And prayer should be the heartbeat of every believer. It's, a, it's an intimacy with God. It's our connection to God. It's where I, I focus on my connection with God more than my connection to other people or things. And I think one of the problems is we get distracted from prayer because we have so many things. We're more connected to the things than we are the person who gave us the things. Even Jesus, he said, my house shall be called a house of, he didn't say a house of evangelism. He didn't say a house of, of worship. He said a house of prayer. And as a matter of fact, that's the one time we saw Jesus get really mad. Like, I don't know how you view scripture, but when I see Jesus going to the temple, flipping tables over, making a whip and whipping people, I think of my dad taking off his braided belt at home and chasing me around the house till he whooped me. That's how mad Jesus was. And there's really two reasons for that. One is because where they were selling the goods at was the outer courts. That was the only place the Gentiles or the non-Jews could worship. They weren't allowed because they didn't have Jewish blood to go into the inner courts and to worship. So they had to stay on the outside, but they wanted to worship God. So you had these people praying down, trying to worship God, and you had these people trying to sell offering or offerings and sacrifices. And Jesus flips, he flips the table. He said, no, no, no. He said, my house should be called a house of prayer. What he's saying is, you're a racist, and that doesn't happen in my house. That was number one. Number two, what he was saying is you cannot rob people of their worship in prayer because this place is not a place for commerce. It's not a place for merchants. It's a place of worship and prayer. And what that means to me, as Paul describes the body of Christ as a body, hands, feet, knees, chest, organs, head, I look at it as the mouth would be the preaching in the church. Preaching, the mouth is the, the body is preaching. The hands would be compassion and service, discipleship. The feet would be evangelism, going and telling. The ears would probably be worship. The head would be the authority of Jesus and the elders he places in the church. But the heart, the heart should be prayer. The heart should be the organ. As a matter of fact, I believe everything spiritually parallels with the physical. The very first organ that forms in a fetus is the heart. Because the heart pumps life to every other area. 
And I believe when Jesus was saying that the, his house should be called a house of prayer, he wasn't saying that's the only thing that would happen. He, we always know to make disciples, go tell the world about Jesus, to worship. But he's saying this should be the heartbeat. Meaning this should produce life into every other ministry. This should produce life into the Dream Center, into Chapel Kids, into Pursuit, into Worship. It should be pumping life-giving blood into every single other area. As a matter of fact, I would say prayer should be the heartbeat of your marriage. If it's the organ that pumps life-giving blood into everything else, Maybe our marriages are weak and lack the power of the Holy Spirit because there's not a sound of prayer in our marriages. Maybe my kids, maybe it should be a, a heart of prayer first and foremost. What if instead of trying to, trying to dictate what my kids do and set boundaries and rules, maybe I should have a heartbeat of prayer first? What about for your business? Maybe you lack the power of the Spirit in your business because it's a money first thing rather than a prayer first thing. See, that prayer should be that heartbeat that produces life into every single other area. And in this church, that's, we need a sound of prayer in churches today. If there's going to be a move of the Holy Spirit, there has to be a sound of prayer. That's personal prayer, private prayer. You should be praying at home. But there also should be corporate prayer. We come together collectively in agreement to say, God, this is the heartbeat of our church. It's not Sunday morning. It's actually for us, it's seek night. That's why seek nights are such a big deal. We're coming together to pray and allow life to be pumped into the dream center, into our families, into our kids, into our worship, into our preaching. It's the heartbeat. It's not a midweek service. It's the heartbeat of our church. Only, God only moves by prayer. And some of you, you're so isolated, you refuse to release a sound of prayer. Some of you just need to grab your wife by the hand or your kids by the hand, and let them hear you pray for them. I promise you it'll be a bonding experience. The second sound is a sound of praise. There's a sound of prayer, obviously tongues. There's a sound of praise. They started declaring the mighty works of God, and other people heard them. So the purpose of praise is to receive power by declaring God's perspective to himself, to yourself, and to others, meaning I'm going to tell God who he is. What's so great about that is the rest of your life, your perspective is based on what you see here. In praise, my perspective changes to what I see up there. And when I see that perspective, when I realize who God is, it changes my thinking, changes my viewpoint, changes my faith to receive power to live out my life here on earth. Some of you have to get beyond that the first 30 minutes of church, that's the song service. That's not the song service. That's the place we prepare our hearts by releasing a sound of heaven so that God will bring heaven down to us. Some of you are so caught up in tradition, you think, well, you know, we just sing songs because, you know, we're supposed to sing songs. No, we sing songs because that's how we fight our battles here. We sing songs because just like they lifted up praise, when they lifted up praise, then God filled them. Then they preach, you have to receive the power of heaven before you can do anything for God. You are unable to do anything for God based on your own power. As a matter of fact, you're unable to do anything for God based on your own perspective. You have to have God's power and God's perspective in order to get there. And this is how powerful it is. This is, this is my theology. So if it's wrong... Blame somebody else. 
God inhabits your heart, the Holy Spirit inhabits your heart by the blood of Jesus. Meaning when you get saved, you're washed in the blood of Jesus, you're now sinless, you're no longer a sinner, now you're called a saint. That's a major difference between the old, I'm just an old sinner saved by grace. No, you're a saint. Quit living backwards, live forwards. You're washed in the blood, God makes you holy enough, the Holy Spirit can live inside of you. He inhabits your heart. So the Holy Spirit inhabits your heart based on the blood of Jesus. But God inhabits your circumstances and your life based on your praise. God inhabits your heart based upon the blood of Jesus. But God inhabits your life and your circumstances based on your praise. Some of you have the Holy Spirit in your heart, but you have hell in your life. The reason being is you haven't released the stuff from the inside to the outside yet. You say, well, that just doesn't make sense. Psalms chapter 22. This, this is David writing the psalm right before the great psalm of Psalm 23 as I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. In Psalm 22, he says, to the choir master, according to the doe of the dawn, a psalm of David, he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me? From the words of my groaning, oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer, and by night, but I find no rest. What is David doing? He is complaining. He's going to God in a complaining attitude, and he's not seeing God move. Now, I would say he had, was a man after God's own heart. He had God's spirit in him, but he's not seeing God's spirit around him. So in verse 3, there's this change that happens. He goes from complaining to saying this, Yet you are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel. Or the King James says, you are holy and you inhabit the praises of your people. See, David learned something in between verse 2 and verse 3 that I need you guys to learn. Some of you have become satisfied with the Holy Spirit being inside your heart. And you're unsatisfied with him not being in your circumstances. Some of you have even blamed God that he's not moving in your life. You're like David. God, why are you not moving in my situation? God, why does it seem like you're so far from me? And then he says, whoa, you are holy. And you inhabit the praises of your people. The key distinctive there is God is waiting for a sound for him to inhabit in your life. And some of you are so attuned to complaining to God that he can't send his spirit into your circumstances. It's amazing that the Pentecostal movement has this sound of praise and the charismatic churches are growing. They're vibrant. They're thriving. There's joy. There's happiness. It's not a, it's not a I have to. It's I get to. And the reason is God inhabits the praises. Some of you just need to get beyond just, oh, I'm complaining, or oh, I'm just singing, or I don't like to sing. No, no, you need to lift up praises because you need to give God something to work with in your life. Like you can't complain about God not moving in your life if you haven't given him what he's asked for yet. He said, well, I don't feel like it. It's a sacrifice of praise. Sometimes you don't feel like it. If it feels good, maybe you're not worshiping God. Maybe you're just trying to get an experience. There's times that I worship, I don't feel like worshiping. There's times I don't get anything on the music. But I'm still going to lift up a praise because it's not about the music anyway. It's about declaring the mighty works of God to God and to others. It was amazing. They said, wow, what is going on here? All we hear is these mighty works of God that have been done. And they said, what is happening? They said, let me tell you about my Jesus. See, some of y'all just need to stop. Oh, God, 
What's going on? God, I hate this. God, I hate that. And then you're wondering, where's God? See, the easy way I can explain it, I said this in first service, and if you don't like this, then I'm sorry. I still believe God is a father. He's a man. He's a male figure. There's some denominations that say, no, he's, he's neutrally gendered. He's a female, which he's a female. Doesn't he make sense? I believe he's a male. And here's what I've learned about men because I, I'm a man. Is that men do not respond to complaining and nagging. Men respond to encouragement and praise. So example, ladies, men, I'm about to just, I'm about to make your week right here. Ladies, if your whole principle of getting your man, your husband, to do what you want him to do is nagging and complaining. The book of Proverbs actually says it's better to be on the roof of the house than inside the house with a nagging woman. That's what Proverbs says. So if toy starts nagging, I said, I'm leaving. Where are you going? To the roof of the house. <laughs> it also says a nagging woman is like a dripping faucet. So what that means is Solomon had wisdom. Solomon realized Ladies, you're not going to get your man to be who you want them to be by complaining about who he is right now. So if you got chores to do at the house, maybe it's take the trash out. And your job, you tell your husband, hey, I asked you to take the trash out yesterday. And he's watching football. First of all, turn the TV off first so he didn't hear a word you said, so that doesn't count. And he's come back and he said, honey, are you ever going to take the trash out? I asked you to do it yesterday. Men are designed to tune out nagging and complaining. And you come back in. I th- you never do what I ask you to do. I do everything around here. You don't do anything. You know what you just trained that man to do? To keep on doing what he's doing. His weapon of choice now will be, and subconsciously will be to draw back from you because no one wants to be around a nagging person. And some of you ladies in this room, you think you have the spiritual gift of nagging. (laughs) And you think the way to improve your husband is to complain about the things that aren't good. I would tell you the way to improve your husband is to praise him and encourage him for the things that are good. Some of you have amazing husbands and you can't see it because you're so busy nitpicking the little bitty weaknesses or flaws that you're overcome by small little pebbles when you have a mountain of a husband. So if you want to change your husband, here's how you do it. Instead of walking in and saying, I'm sick and tired of having to do it. I'll just take the trash out myself. I'd have, instead, just say, hey, I love it when you take that trash out. <laughs> and you got to say it, you got to change your tone just a little bit. Because when you take that trash out, when you reach over that trash can and you bend at the knee correctly like you're supposed to, <laughs> And I see your arms glisten with that sweat from pulling that trash bag that's been there for eight days, nasty, rotten. And you pick it up and you show that trash can to his boss. You tie it up and you walk it outside like a hero bringing home the trophy. Look like you're carrying a big elk head just out the door, just carrying it to the trash can. You take in that trash can, you throw that lid down, and you walk back. She's like, you've never been so fine in your life. I watch you walk back in as a warrior. You know what he's going to do? He's going to wake up about 4.45 in the morning and take that trash out. <laughs> so if that's how men respond and God is a man, do you think God's going to respond to nagging and complaining? Or do you think he's going to respond to praise? 
So real quick, just do a real quick inventory of your prayers. Or in your prayer life, are you spending more time complaining about situations and circumstances or praising God? In church, are you just trying to get something out of it or are you giving something, God something to work with? If he inhabits the praises of his people, what are you giving him to inhabit? What are you giving? What are you building? If you think of it as, as I praise God, I'm building a, a temple or a tabernacle for him to dwell in in my life, in your house. Maybe if you filled your house up with praise rather than Cardi B, you would see the presence of God in your house more. What if in your car you were lifting up praises? Maybe you'd see God move more in your personal life. What if at work, instead of playing music or, or talk radio, what if you had praise music going on? You started lifting up praise to God. See, there's a sound. And sound precedes manifestation. If you're needing God to move, you need to give him a sound to work with. And number three, there's a sound of prophecy. Peter stands up and he begins to prophesy to the crowd. And the point of prophecy is to receive power, again, receive power by declaring God's perspective to others about others, sometimes to yourself. What that means is, Prophecy is receiving something from God and, and, you know, the internal voice of God, which we'll talk about in the next few weeks, or a vision or a dream, or his word, and releasing that because that's God's perspective, releasing that to people around you and sometimes even yourself. And what that means is I'm releasing a sound that is already in God's will. I, I know his word is in his will. And if he speaks to me, I'm 95% sure it's God, then I know that's in his will. And so when I release a prophetic word, I'm releasing God's perfect will in an audible way to the situation around me because sound precedes manifestation. It's not manifestation, then sound. And so if prophecy is releasing God's word, some of you have nothing to prophesy. Because when I read God's word, I'm building up an arsenal of arrows that I can pull in my quiver and release at any time. Over my kids, I can release this over my kids. Attacks in my household, I can start releasing prophetic words. Why? Because I'm storing up God's word in my heart because at some point I'm going to need to release it. And some of you, you, you need to get in this word and get you some arrows in your quiver. Some of you need to start releasing God's word rather than your circumstances. In Ezekiel 37, we, we talked about it a minute ago. I'm going to read this because I need you to understand this principle is so heavy. It says in verse 1, The hand of the Lord was upon me, and he brought me out in the spirit of the Lord, and he set me down in the middle of the valley, and it was full of bones. And he led me among all of them. And behold, there were very many on the surface of the valley, and behold, they were very dry. Some of you in this room are nothing more than a valley of dry bones, wrapped up in white washed tombs of religion. That's what Jesus talked about in, in the whitewashed tombs. He's saying you look great on the outside, but inside you're full of dry bones. This is the same. He's paralleling this prophecy. Some of your marriages are nothing more. They look good on the outside, but inside there's no life in them. As a matter of fact, they've been dead so long they're dry. He says, you place me in the middle of the dry bones in the valley. And he said, said to me, son of man, can you see these, these bones live? And I answered, oh, Lord God, you know. Then he said to me, prophesy over these bones and say to them, oh, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. So the solution was to prophesy over death. 
Thus says the Lord God to these bones, Behold, I will cause breath to enter you. Ruash, the same word, breath of life in Genesis 1. The same word of pneuma in the New Testament. The breath of life to enter you and you shall live. And I will lay sinews upon you and will cause flesh to come upon you and you shall cover you with skin and put breath in you and you shall live and you shall know that I am the Lord. He says, so I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I prophesied, as I prophesied, there was a what? As I prophesied, there was a sound. There wasn't, there wasn't the miracle happened first, then a sound. There was a sound, then a miracle. Do you see this thread? Genesis 1, we can hit there. David with David and Goliath, we can see him prophesying over Goliath there. You get to hear to Ezekiel, we can see it there. You get it to Acts chapter 1, there was a sound, then God moved. Sound precedes the manifestation. And some of you have been waiting for a manifestation before you give God a sound. And now you're in this big waiting game, and I promise you, God will win the waiting game. It says, there was a sound, and behold, a rattling, and the bones came together, bone to bone. And I looked, and behold, there were sinews on them, and flesh had come upon them, and skin had covered them, but there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath. Prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath, Thus says the Lord God, Come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these, or pneuma, or breathe life into these, that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded, and breath came into them, and they lived and stood on their feet, and an exceedingly great army. What came first, the army or the sound? What came first, life or the sound? The sound comes First, on the day of Pentecost, it was marked by a sound before it was marked by a movement. Is your life marked by a sound of prayer, sound of praise, sound of prophecy? See, here, here's a word we've been trained to prophesy our circumstances rather than prophesy the word. We start speaking what we see. Oh, these dry bones, look, these bones are dry. Nothing can happen to these bones. There's nothing on. You start complaining about the circumstances. You notice Ezekiel didn't show up and say, I don't know how God's going to do this. No, he prophesied God's word to them. Many times when you prophesy, it contradicts your current situation and circumstances. We are great at reporting our current circumstances and situations to God. God already knows what you're going through. God doesn't need to tell you, doesn't need you to tell him what you see. He needs you to declare the solution to what you see. Because what you speak to will live. He spoke to the dry bones. What you speak to shall live. But what you fail to speak to will die. And some of you are in relationships, you stop speaking to each other. Guess what's going to happen? It's going to die. Some of you got into a place with your kids, you no longer speak to them or talk to them about the things that are important because now you think, well, they're teenagers, they don't really need that anymore. No, no, no. If you stop talking to them, their relationship's going to die. Some of you need to quit going and speaking death over your marriage, speaking death over your kids, speaking death over your finances, speaking, and this is not name it, claim it. The name it, claim it thing, I believe, sabotaged this message of sound. 
It's not about getting material things. It's about life being breathed into things. Some of you have been speaking death and death and death. You see your husband, you never prophesy or encourage the solution. You just complain and complain and complain. Your kids, you complain, you complain, you complain. Your job, you complain, you complain, you complain. Instead of prophesying to it, I'm telling you, whatever you speak to shall live. If you're speaking complaints, those complaints are going to grow and live. It's like seeds. And every time you speak over them, they produce roots, they begin to grow, and that becomes fruit of complaining. I said this in first service. I'm going to say it again in this service. Some of you are in inappropriate relationships with people of the opposite sex. You say, well, I haven't cheated on her yet. I haven't cheated on him yet. But you've been talking through Snapchat, Facebook Messenger, text messages, a secondary throwaway phone. And you're speaking to something. As you speak to that other person, you're giving that relationship life. And that relationship is not life. It's actually death coded in a good experience. But the moment you cut off that talking, cut off the conversation, that relationship will die. Direct that conversation to your spouse. Speak life into your spouse, and you'll start to see that marriage thrive. There has to be a sound for God to work with. What's the sound that you're giving him? I'm a firm believer that church has gotten too quiet. It's gotten too quiet. We're telling people, be quiet. You know what? That's what they told blind Bartimaeus. Just be quiet. Be quiet. But he got healed based on the sound of his voice. Some of you need to lift up a praise and give God something to work with. It is time to release a sound. If you need the Spirit to move in your life, release a sound. If you need him to move in your marriage, release a sound. If you need him to move in your business, release a sound. There should be a sound of heaven coming out of the people of heaven on earth. And so today, we're going to end with one song. We're going to go back into the first song we did. And the whole point is to give you a safe place to give something for God to inhabit. You say, well, you know, I'm, I'm just not good at singing. I didn't ask how good you were at singing. I asked you to declare the mighty works of God to God. Well, I, I don't, I, I'm not from a, a background that, that does like this. I didn't ask what background you're from. I'm saying, are you going to give God praises to work with? If you need God to inhabit something, he's going to inhabit your praises. What are you going to give him to work with? So if you would just stand to your feet all over the room. So give us five minutes and we'll get out of here. I'm going to invite you to come down to the altar. I'm going to invite you to come down front, invite you where you are. And it, this is a stretching moment. For some of you, just singing is going to be a stretching. For some of you, just lifting your hands and giving God praise your hands is going to be a stretching. For some of you coming down, is going to be a stretching. This is a stretching moment. Because we're not here to go through the routine of church. We're here to see the Spirit move in and through us as a people. Father, we thank you for your mighty works you've done in our lives. We thank you that, Father, your grace is more than enough. It saved us. It sustains us. And, Father, by the grace of God, I pray that you allow for your Spirit to move in our lives, through our lives. Father, we give you praises right now, declaring that there is none holy but you. There is none righteous but you. There is none beautiful but you. There is none perfect but you. And Father, you're more than if your love is enduring and everlasting. And Father, we lift up praises to you. We ask that you inhabit our praises. Father, move in the lives of your people. Father, allow for there to be a sound of heaven that comes up out of our mouths and comes out of this church that bewilders the world and draws the lost and the broken into the presence of God. So we bless you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.